It is a blessing beyond description to see your faces today. Those of you that are watching from home, we are thrilled that you have taken time to log in and to be with us here in our live service this morning here at Victory. This is our very first time back. Um, Amen. I believe our last service was March the 15th. That was the day that we had uh, the jazz band here, and then everything was starting to um, move toward uh, a spread. And uh, today I just want to say thank you so very much for all of you that have come in and spread out nicely and wore your masks and uh, are very, very careful. We, we are not going to be driven by fear, but we're not going to be foolish either, okay? We're not going to be driven by fear, but we are not going to be stupid or foolish. We want to, uh, we, we, we want to walk in two things, faith, that is trusting God, and then also wisdom. God gives us knowledge for a reason. Somebody say amen. Um, the Old Testament says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Don't let something unnecessary happen in your life because you've ignored knowledge that you know is important. That is, just be smart, be safe. And uh, so we're thrilled today to be able to have you with us. We're in a series called The Scent Life. It's basically talking about the importance of the local church. Uh, we, We recognize that the church in the scriptures viewed in two ways. The church universal, that is the whole body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, And it is one holy nation with many tribes. We're not talking about uh, Joseph and Issachar and um, the various tribes of Israel, those kinds of names. But we're talking about Baptist and Methodist and Pentecostal and uh, Episcopalian and that sort of thing. We've, We've got many tribes in the body of Christ. And at the same time, God's purpose is to move globally, but to act and to think locally, okay? So we think big, but we start small. We think globally, but we act locally. We've learned some of those things. This crisis has reminded us that the church is not this building. My, my, my Church of Christ friends have got that right. We need, to, we need to wise up and realize that we can learn that from that particular stream of the body of Christ, and that is that the building is not the church. Now, it's a church building. It's where the church meets, but the church is a living thing. The church is a people. The church is a called-out group of people, and we're going to do a little bit of review, but today, this is message number four in the Scent series, um, and for whatever reason, we've, we've failed to get up our graphic until now. It's been up on social media, but Don't you love all of these shoes and these feet? Because they're all marching or running or stepping into. Ladies, we didn't leave you out, okay? Um, So actually, there should be more women on there than that. But maybe some of these athletes probably are female. So all of these different kinds of representations of shoes are going into different places, different venues that represent uh, possibly a calling, maybe an occupation, uh, certainly an interest. And so the whole mission, the whole meaning of sent is that we are called of God to be sent to the area in which we live and work. We're called, victory is called, it's sent to the Delta. It's sent to this community of Marion and West Memphis and Crittenden County and the tri-state area and the whole world. That sounds familiar. 
just a little different pattern or different descriptions of geographical locations. But our text for this series is found in Acts 1.8. You know, I said, Marion, West Memphis, Crittenden County, tri-state area of the whole world. Listen to how it says in the book of Acts. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. We've used the metaphor of dropping a rock into a pond, standing on a bridge over a pond or maybe, uh, you know, out um, I forget the word that I'm thinking of. You know, when you walk out over the ocean, what is that thing called? The, the pier. Thank you. Thank you for your help, Congress. See, that's why I need you here. Um, so you're, you're standing on that. That doesn't work in the ocean because you've got all this movement with waves. But you're standing over a pond that's still, and you drop a rock into it, and you will immediately begin to see the movement, the physics of the ripple effect of concentric circles that eventually will go to the end of the pond, okay? And so God's intention was that he dropped the rock, the revelation of Christ's kingdom, R-O-C-K, into the newborn church at Jerusalem with the investment of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and there has been a rippling effect that's touched the world for the last 2,000 years. You can put your hands together for that. That's a, that's, that'll preach right there. I love that. Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Our one thing, which is kind of like a chorus and a song, we come back to it repeatedly to remind you of this because if you don't get anything else, you'll get this. The one thing for today's message is the Father sent the Son to save us. The Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to empower us and then He sends us to change the world. Would you look at a screen and read that out loud with me, please? Here we go. The Father sent the Son to save us. The Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to empower us, and then He sends us to change the world. You know, really, I, technically, I should have said the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit send us because it's a, it is a Trinitarian uh, commandment that we are to go into the world and make disciples. Um, we're just, we want to remind you of a couple of things that as I started with this morning, I got a little ahead of myself, and so now I want to come back and focus Thank you for those of you bringing your families. We will not have childcare at Victory until we're out of phase two. So we're doing everything we can to comply uh, with the guidelines and with the executive orders of the state of Arkansas. Um, we're, we're grateful to be back in here. We've taken a little bit more time than some other churches, and there are others that haven't opened up yet. And uh, we, we've, we encourage you to pray for us. We'll be moving on a week-to-week -week basis uh, as to when it's time to go back to a second service. There will be folks that will begin to trickle in knowing that we're open, and even though we don't have childcare, in order to be able to continue to spread out and have social distancing in the room, there'll be some point at which we will uh, reinstitute our second service. But right now, there's one service at 10 a.m. Everybody say, everybody say one service, 10 a.m. We encourage the elderly, the newborns, the immunocompromised uh, are encouraged to stay home and view online. All right. Um, just a quick review. We've already said the church is not a building but a people. We learned about the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out to influence. Okay. We are sent to our communities in which we live and work. Interesting. I didn't bring this last week. There's all, I always get up here with way more notes than I can preach through. But Matthew 28, 19, which is one of the five locations where the Great Commission is 
represented it. It says, therefore, go and make disciples. The therefore is therefore something. The reason being is that the verse prior, Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go. So Jesus was delegating. He is the source of our authority. We have no authority within ourselves, but we are his delegated authority. He says, because I have and hold all authority in heaven and in earth, now I'm sending you, you now, therefore go and make disciples. Now, it's so easy to get into a mindset that says that, well, you know, that's about planning a special trip you know, seeing who's interested to make a trip to the islands the way we had planned to go to Puerto Rico this summer and that all changed in February when all of this began to open up. And though that's appropriate, that's certainly not anywhere near the whole picture. It is not about a special trip going somewhere else. We are called on mission right here to the Delta. As a matter of fact, come on. As, as a matter of fact, when we look at the Greek word, in the original, it says this. It doesn't just say go and make disciples. It says as you are going into the world. Now that, that lends a whole different light to it because it moves us away from plan a special trip and go over there to a different people group who speak a different language who look different than you. No, the message of the New Testament and the Great Commission is as you are going into the world, as you are going to school, as you're going into your job, make disciples. Let your life be one that represents. The church is the duly authorized representative sent on mission for the kingdom of God. Okay? So we, we are called to represent Jesus. A lot of folk have some ridiculous ideas about who Jesus is because we've had some bad teaching in the church and there have been some faulty written Southern Gospel songs that have given us some ridiculous notions about him. And we, the people of God, have to re-present Jesus. Come on, somebody help me this morning. We show the world who Jesus is. Acts chapter 8. We're, we're not doing a depth dive. We're not doing a deep dive into Acts. We're doing a flyover. It's a bird's eye view. We're using the book of Acts as a pattern as a sent people. Every one of these pictures of these different shoes and feet are going into some different locale, a different job, a different workplace, a school, a neighborhood. As you are going into the world, you are sent as a people on mission. Acts chapter 8, we begin to see that there's a dramatic shift away from the nuclear church in Jerusalem. The scripture actually says in Acts chapter 8, Verse 1, Saul was one of the witnesses. Now what this is telling us in, the, in chapter 7, Stephen had just been stoned and Saul of Tarsus, uh, which is a city in Turkey, okay, Saul of Tarsus is standing on the side holding the coats for the people who are stoning Stephen. And Stephen preaches a message giving a summary of the history of Israel and he says some things that anger the religious people and they pick up stones and they stone him to death. In his dying moments, he looks up to heaven and he says, Father, do not hold this sin to their charge. Wow, amazing ability to forgive. And it says, Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Now, this, this guy, who is not a murderer himself, but is an accessory to a murder, okay, 
is about to have an encounter in another chapter. We'll get to that in a moment. But it says, Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Look at this. A great wave of persecution began that day. We don't have the scripture up for this. Okay. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, this is what I want you to see. Verse 4, jumping down in Acts 8, but the believers who were scattered, everybody say scattered, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Now, my first point, the sub-point under this is this. The believers were scattered so the gospel could be preached. Now, you know what? Everything was comfortable. we got a move of God going on. There's revival. It's exciting what's happening in Jerusalem. Peter and John are walking down by the gate beautiful at the temple one day, and a man who's lame from birth gets up and walks, and he's leaping and dancing and shouting and praising God. And Peter and John are called before the Sanhedrin because the religious folk are upset about it, and they step forward in boldness because they are empowered and authorized to be bold, to stand out. That's one of my points from last week. This is what I want you to see. The Lord is always using circumstances in your life for His glory. God used persecution of the church to drive them out of their comfort zone where everything was good and fine and, and, and comfortable and, and just exciting and the presence of God. The Spirit of God is there, but God says, no, no, I don't want to keep this here hidden in this one little spot. I want to move this out to Judea and Samaria and ultimately to the corners, the four corners of the earth, to the othermost parts of the world. The Lord is always using circumstances in your life for his glory. God used persecution to move the church out of Jerusalem to spread them, and those people were emboldened. They were authorized to represent, to speak out. They were authorized to be bold, to stand out. They were authorized to serve, to to pour out their lives for their brothers and sisters. They were authorized to bless. That was to give out of what they had. I was in a prayer service literally 35 years ago, standing in a church in North Carolina, and a sweet little 80-something white-haired little lady named Miss Goldie lost her husband a couple of years prior, and she was asking in the prayer meeting, she said, would you please pray? My, my roof on my house is leaky and I, I need to replace it and I don't have the money to do it. And we're already thinking, you know, can we take up an offering for her and do something to help Miss Goldie out? But we're standing around and praying and we're just, we're asking, God move, bring provision for Miss Goldie. And y'all, it was about 10 days later, a hurricane blew up the eastern seaboard in the coast and there was some wind shears and a tornado spun off from that hurricane and it it, it, it cut a hole in Miss Goldie's roof, and, and she's just heartbroken. We're standing in the next prayer meeting. She says, I don't understand this. And I spoke up, and I said, Miss Goldie, call your insurance company. They're going to pay for your new roof. And, and, folk, what I want you to see is sometimes God answers your prayer, and he doesn't answer it the way you thought he was going to, but he will bring blessing in your life. God will use circumstances in your life to glorify himself and to establish his purposes. Somebody say amen. As a matter of fact, Psalm 148 verse 8 says, stormy wind fulfilling his word. The weather and the sea and the, 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 everything that is in the sky, the stars in the sky, the scripture says that they are held together. Everything consists by this preeminent one and his name is Jesus and he gives the commandment and they must obey. Somebody say amen. 
Philip moves out. He preaches in Samaria. There's a move of God that's so powerful that the apostles from the Jerusalem church, Peter and John, are sent to see it. It's not just in Jerusalem anymore. This thing is like a virus. It's contagious. It's spreading because those that are filled with the Holy Spirit of God are carrying something that is infectious in the lives of other people that will receive it. It's, it's a good infection. It's something that will transform your life and change you uh, for the purpose of the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen. Later in that chapter, Philip is introduced to a well-to-do African. He's, he's an Ethiopian. As a matter of fact, history tells us that he was the treasurer for Queen Candace. And he is standing in his chariot. He's heading on a road. I've literally visited the very spot in Israel where Philip took this black African down into a cistern and baptized him after he confessed Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's reading out of the book of Isaiah, and, and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no, sir, I don't. Let me explain, Philip says. And he starts to show him Jesus through all those prophetic passages. And faith comes and a light turns on. And the Ethiopian is transformed as he turns his life to Jesus Christ. And, folk, he goes back to his nation of Africa. And the church, the Coptic church, is established, which is the oldest form of Christianity on the planet. God cares about Africa. God loves Africans. This guy is a dark, dark-skinned man. Now, let me tell you something. The stuff that we're facing right now in America, it's not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. It's a sin problem in the hearts of people. That's why you can't write a law and legislate it. Now, you can do some stuff to protect folks, but let me tell you something. You don't ultimately deal with the problem in the hearts of people until the gospel comes in and transforms a man or a woman's heart. The gospel is the only answer that will give us true racial reconciliation, and that means that we reach a place where we start to see each other in Christ as new creations and not as a black man or a white man or a red man or a yellow man. We honor our differences. We bless our diversity. It's like a beautiful tapestry in the creation of God. But I no longer see myself as I used to after the flesh. I see myself as a new creation in Christ. Would to God a revival would happen in America and the gospel would penetrate all of these things. Every cry you hear, every cry you hear with Black Lives Matter is the hard cry of somebody that says, I have a voice and I want to be heard. And the last thing the church should do is dismiss them. We should have open ears and open arms and come and share the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm glad you're here today. The word race is not even a Bible word. The Bible words are kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue. The scripture gives us the idea that there is one human race and a bunch of different families. Come on, somebody. This issue isn't a skin problem. It's a sin problem. The Father sent the Son to save us. The Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to empower us. And then they send us to change the world. Acts chapter 9, you start to see some movement my point is uncommon grace for undeserving sinners. How many of you are thankful for the grace of God? Everybody in this room is an undeserving sinner, but we're thankful for uncommon grace that's been poured out on our lives. Acts chapter 9 is the powerful testimony how Saul, let me just read it to you. I can get it faster that way. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, 
it says, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Saul asked. Remember, he's, he's headed to down the Damascus Road with a pocket full of warrants ready to capture Christians, those that are part of what become known as the way those that are confessing Christ, they believe in the resurrection of the dead. They believe that Jesus got up out of the grave after three days. And Paul is capturing them, going to take them to jail. He's, he's going to stop this thing. He's working to snuff it out. And little does he know that God has a divine appointment set up from him on the Damascus Road. The Damascus Road is in Syria, folks. We're not even talking about in Israel. I mean, oh, God can move outside the church. He can move in powerful ways out there in the marketplace. He can move in your school. He, he knows what road you're on right now. He can meet you in the middle of the road that you're on, and he can uh, have a transformation for your life that will dramatically turn you around. The light shone. The voice was heard. Those around him heard something, but they didn't know what it was. They heard somebody speaking, but they didn't see anybody. And the scripture says that Paul immediately, when he got, him, got himself up off the ground and he opened his eyes, he was blind. And for three days, he couldn't see anything. And the Spirit of the Lord speaks to the ones that are taking care of him. And he, they say, send for Ananias. Ananias has heard all about Saul. He's not Paul yet, but he's heard all about Saul. And we're talking about the life of a sent one. God apprehended Saul in his sinfulness, but it was sinfulness in the name of religion. How many of you know some folk can get up a full head of steam and a bunch of righteous indignation in the sense of defending the law or, or defending the law of God and they can end up breaking the law thinking they're defending the law of God. So Saul is a, a, an accessory to killing folks. He's certainly bringing them into prison trying to snuff out the work of God and the, the move of the Holy Spirit. Ananias says this. He says, Lord, I've heard everything that he's done he said, I, I, I just don't know if I want to go put myself in that kind of a situation. And so the, word, the Lord says, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. Hear that. I have shown him a vision of, an, of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. What is my point? First of all, folks say, wait a minute, Saul got saved? Are you kidding? Come on. How many of you can think of you know, some people that are unlikely. It was uncommon grace for an undeserving sinner. And we can think, man, what a transformation happened in that person's life. Saul is certainly one that nobody ever expected to get saved. How many of you know God has something up his sleeve for every one of you? Come on, somebody. The beautiful thing is that God deals with a man based on his destiny and not on his history. God is not nearly as concerned about your past as you are. Because he'll use your past and redeem it so that it can be part of the ministry that you're going to have to minister to people in the future. Come on, somebody. God deals with a man based on his destiny and not on his history. When God does something new in your life, he's already called someone to come alongside you and encourage you. For every time God saves a Saul, he's already tapped the shoulder of Ananias that's going to come bring the completion of this work of the Spirit to you, lay hands on you and open your eyes so you can see. How many of you know sometimes you have to go blind before you can see? You have to go blind to realize, I, I'm not seeing what I thought I was seeing. And so Paul wakes up in a whole new world. He comes alive and sees things from an entirely different perspective. The Father sent the Son to save us. The Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to empower us. And then he 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, send us to change the world. Acts chapter 10, this will be my last point this morning. There are unexpected blessings on unlikely people. This is what's happening in the life of a sent person. If, if you just learn how to quiet your soul and listen to the direction of the Holy Spirit, it's amazing what God will start to do in your life in, in a still small voice of speaking to you, opening the Word in a new understanding, leading you and guiding you, causing you to take steps in a direction that you might not otherwise have gone, to turn this way instead of that way, and to move into a place and have a divine encounter with somebody in order to be able to share the gospel. The Scripture says in Acts chapter 10, it's the story about Peter who goes and visits. Uh, I've actually been to the house. It's still there. It's still standing 2,000 years later, it's, it's, it's made out of stucco and mud and a little flat roof. And, and literally, it says the house of Simon the Tanner. And so Peter goes and visits Simon the Tanner, and he goes up on the roof, and he's praying, and he's meditating. And all of a sudden, he, he falls into a trance. He starts to see things. Now, I don't know whether you believe in this or not, but I, Scripture says that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit, and, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Now, I don't know why the old men dream. Maybe they sleep more. I, I'm, I'm starting to <laughs> think that that's part of it. I know, uh, I know now why you have your babies in your 20s and your 30s, because when you get past 40s and 50s, you need some sleep. Come on, somebody, if you, you know what I'm talking about, say amen. And, and uh, so... Young men are seeing visions. Old men are dreaming dreams. And Peter sees a vision where God lets down a sheet. And on that sheet are all manner of, of different kinds of animals, which the law of God in the Old Testament has all described as unclean. Peter sees all of these crawling, creeping, crawly things. And, and the Spirit of the Lord speaks to Peter and he says, Peter, arise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. Even that's ironic. Think about this. Not so, Lord. If he's Lord, you don't say no. Come on, if he's Lord of your life, you don't say, oh, no, 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 that, that's not, that's not going to work, God, because he's Lord. He's got final authority. He's the boss. He calls the shots. If you understand what I just said, somebody say amen. So Peter says, oh, not so, Lord. And so literally he sees the vision. It appears three times. There's a sheet coming down with all manner of unclean animals that the Jewish people are not allowed to eat. And every time the Spirit of the Lord speaks and says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And finally Peter gets the message. And he says, I can't eat this stuff. It's, it's unclean. And the Spirit of God speaks to Peter and he says, Don't call unclean what I have cleansed. And this is when God gives a vision to an Italian guy. Scripture says Cornelius is the head of the Italian band. I, I saw a meme this week on Instagram that says there are no white people in the Bible. And, you know, that's almost true. But I think Italians are Europeans, so, you know, I mean, if you think Italians are white people, I, certainly I don't think there are any Nordic or Swedish or that sort of thing. But there, there are some there. There's a representation of the whole planet there in the Scripture. But this Italian guy basically gets a, a, an appearance of an angel, and he says, go to this guy and send for Peter. And, and Peter responds to the cry, and he goes to Cornelius' house, and he begins to share the gospel. Cornelius was a God-fearer. He was a Gentile. He was not a, a Jew, obviously. He's an Italian guy. 
He's a Gentile, but he loves God and he's, he's walking according to the law of the Lord and he's, he's known as a man of great reputation. He's a God-fearer. And Peter takes the gospel to these Gentiles, a house full of Gentiles, a house full of folk that Jewish people would call unclean. As a matter of fact, they referred to them as dogs. There is a spirit in this particular New Testament era of Judaism that had continued to grow into, it molded into this idea that instead of being the people of God called to be a priestly nation to the world, they started thinking they were the only ones that God loved and the only ones that God would bless. And God said, no, I'm going to bust you out of that mentality because I'm here for the whole world. And so Peter goes in there and he preaches in the house of Cornelius and much to his surprise, those people get saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. He lays hands on them. The same gifts of the Holy Spirit that happened on the day of Pentecost are poured out on them and Peter just is scratching his head and he says, who am I? I mean, if the, if the Holy Ghost is going to come on these folks, supposed to be outcast dogs, then let me just say something to you. Sometimes the church is a whole lot like the Jewish nation at this time. We have prejudice toward sinners. Or maybe it's a racial prejudice, or maybe it is an economic prejudice, or a social status prejudice. Please, please hear me. God wants to deliver us from all of that superiority and, 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 and that idea that we are better than anybody else. We are all undeserving sinners desperately in need of uncommon grace. Come on, somebody. When we obey the Word of God and we take the gospel, God will give un, uh, uh, unlikely, what's my, unexpected blessings on unlikely people. Expect a miracle. Gee, uh, Peter stood up and he preached. He said, guys, I want to tell you how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And he preaches the gospel. The one who is the sin breaker, the one who is the, 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 the slave destroyer, and the Holy Ghost gets poured out on that house and in that family. Jesus tore down the wall between Jews and Gentiles. At the cross, he, he is the, the great peacemaker. He, he, he dismantled that wall of partition that separated the, 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 the chosen people from the rest of the world. And he says, my hand is on the whole world. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody put your hands together and give the Lord praise. And I want you to see this morning that in this moment you have the opportunity to, to reach and become part of this group of undeserving sinners who experience the uncommon grace of God. You have the opportunity to just put your trust in Jesus and have unexpected blessings in an unlikely place. That's me and you. Man, if God can save Saul of Tarsus and make him an apostle to write two-thirds of the New Testament, God can save anybody in this room. God can save anybody on the Internet. He can save anybody in your life that you think is beyond the pale, beyond the, the reach of the Holy Spirit's hand. Come on, somebody say amen. The Father sent the Son to save us. The Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to empower us, and then He sends us to change the world. I'm thankful for the gospel. The gospel is very simply that Jesus right now is king. He came and died for us in our place, paid the penalty for my sins and yours. The scripture says he is the savior of the whole world. Now, that doesn't mean the whole world is going to be saved because shed blood 
He shed the blood for the whole world, but the blood still had to be applied to each individual doorpost. Okay? So this morning, and that's an analogy to Exodus chapter 12 in the Passover when they, they shed the blood of the lamb and then they put it on the doorpost. This morning, Jesus is the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He shed that blood for you and for me. But have you applied his blood to the doorpost of your heart? That's very simple. There is a response. There is something that God is looking for you to do. There's something that God is looking for you to respond to this message of the gospel. This morning, if that's you and you've never crossed the line of faith, it is available to you in this place, in this room, before we say the amen. If you're watching today on the internet or sometime and even in the future, God knows where you are geographically, in space, and maybe in the future, he knows where you are in time. He is reaching to you right now, right where you are. Would you bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together today in your word. Thank you for these people whose hearts are hungry to experience your presence, Lord, to enjoy fellowship. Lord, even though it's different in this moment and we're still just dealing with the current situation that the world is facing with the corona crisis, God, we just join our hearts in faith and we ask you to touch those, family and friends, Lord, that may be affected by that, that may be wrestling with the virus. Lord, bring healing, bring strength to them. Help them to endure. Father, today in this moment, we ask you that those who've heard this word and they've felt the tug of the Holy Spirit, the call of the Spirit of God in their lives, Lord, that we respond now. We know the blood's been shed for us, but now we individually apply that blood to the doorpost of our own hearts. And we do it very simply by just praying this prayer. If that's you this morning and you've never crossed that line of faith, I would encourage you just to pray this in your own words. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for Jesus. I know that he died for my sin. I know that I don't deserve it, but I ask you today, forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Because of faith that you've given me, I turn away from my past and I turn to you in the present, right now. And I ask you to be Lord of my life. Change me. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. Amen.